This is our league, and this is your league. From the 55-yard line on CFL America Radio and the Sports History Network. This is a league of A's and B's. It's green and red and gold and black and blue. This is a league with two official languages and many unofficial languages. It's East versus West, wheat versus iron, love versus hate. This is a league where superstars are extraordinary and ordinary at the same time. It's a league of ice, of fog, of mud and wind. And for one Sunday in November, it's the nation's glue. This is a league as diverse as a country, a league of Jacksons and Kwongs, Johnsons, Moscas, O'Shea's, and Haji Razulis. This is his league, his league, her league, their league, and their league. It's my league, and it's your league. This is our league. Hey, and welcome to uh, From the 55-Yard Line with Scott and Greg. And uh, we are sitting here anxiously awaiting the news about the new, quote-unquote, USFL. And um, we, uh, we've got that going on today. We've also uh, just wrapped up an interview with Ron Snyder, who wrote the great, a great book, if you haven't read it already, on the Baltimore Stallions, um, a very good book about the history of pro of another pro league here in the United States that of the one team that had success, the, the stallions, they were it. Unfortunately, they were just a brief two-year run before the Browns moved to Baltimore and the stallions relocated to Montreal. And that was 26 years ago um, after they won. And the Baltimore stallions are the only American team ever to appear and win a great cup. So as I, we always say on here, um, you know, we, we focus in on history, not so much current events, but today is kind of a confluence of, of history and current events with the, the USFL news apparently dropping here within, I would say, about the hour, according to my schedule. Scott, what, what say you? Well, you know, we're, I'm looking forward to whatever they have to say. And, uh, you know, as, as I've said many, many times, I wish them well. Hope, you know, hope figure out the, uh, Hope they can crack the code, which no other spring league has ever done. But, you know, I am curious to see what they do and, and what it's going to be like in, in terms of what kind of players they can go after, what are the salaries going to be, what are the ticket prices going to be, and that's going to determine what kind of crowds you're going to see. So there's a lot of information out there, and, and we know very little about any of it, or at least I do right now. So I'm, I am curious. Yeah, I mean, you know, we, you and I, I mean, you were on – on Tim Hanlon's uh, Good Seat's Still Available, which I might add is one of the best sports history podcasts out there. I know Tim's, Tim's part great. of our network, but it, uh, Tim is Tim is just, it's every show, you know, one of those, it's like any show on, our, on the Sports History Network, you learn something new. Um, but Tim's a Chicago guy, and, you know, I just, I, I fell in love with sports history podcasts long before I, I 
discover the sports history network because of Tim's show. So, um, and Scott was a guest just at last couple days on Tim's show talking about the USFL and as, as, as Scott alluded to in there, Scott's been to seven funerals of seven different leagues. So, um, you know, might we be on the verge of an eighth and potentially ninth next year? Who knows? But no, my take on this whole new USFL is it's much like, you know, it's much like when they came out uh, years ago with all the brand new USFL merchandise. Well, yeah, it's great. It has USFL logo on it, but it's not from the real USFL. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's my thing, which I know is just an old guy, stupid thing, maybe. Yeah. but I just, you know, again, I was hoping whatever league started, you know, it would just be something else, you know, since whatever the parent company is, the national spring football league or whatever that, you know, that's a decent yeah. name, but you yeah, know, again, that's, that's neither here nor that. I realize, you know, the more I say that, the more I sound like the, the guy telling the kids to get off my lawn, you know, when I'm, yeah, I'm complaining about a new USFL, well, but it's just to me having loved the original USFL and knowing right the only relationship is having the same name and having the same brands. It just you know. Well, I mean, there's a nostalgia factor, and you know, I'm like there. I, I wonder the same thing too. You know, especially when I'm on Twitter, and I get very, and you know me, I get very vocal on Twitter. I get very sarcastic. I get very, you know, and, I, and not that I'm, I'm dismissing the XFL or even what's coming. I mean. One thing about these leagues is what they represent is jobs and they represent opportunities for players. And that's what I, what we love about these leagues. And there's new stories there too. And the frustrating part that I have with all the new leagues that are, have come out and nobody has learned from history. I mean, the USFL, you know, I was, you, I was in high school, you were a little bit older than me. Um, You know, we kind of saw that kind of fall. We kind of knew what was going to happen to the USFL way back when, back in the eighties. And it's just, it's frustrating for me that nobody seems to have learned their, their history lessons, how to make any of these leagues work. And, you know, the only league that honestly has had any staying power among these alternate leagues has been the arena football league. Yeah. And I think we talked about it a while back. I mean, you know, I would gladly, if I could just wave a wand sort of, shape the sports landscape i would love in terms of alternative football for the spring to feature like the old arena league you know i, I hate because uh, the arena league was was a great league and then it you know, for whatever reason fell apart and then you had did a, you ever go to a game you know there's a well what they had in birmingham was arena league two okay so, they had so you've been league. to a you've been to an arena game correct yeah now so it was a feeder league you know to the to, and that was when the afl was you know playing decent money and yeah and getting you know getting you know second tier players or whatever and i i would love to have seen you know i mean i want to see any of it viable like yeah what you said i want to see people you know be able to have jobs i mean the, right. not just the players and the coaches but i mean you have people you know, that work for these teams that quit, you know, surefire regular jobs to go to work in these leagues. So for them, right. I mean, I, it always bothers me when people take joy in a league failing. I mean, you don't have to like the league and you don't have to support the league, but people are losing jobs. They're yeah. losing their livelihood. So, so I don't ever want to see any, I, I mean, it just pisses me off when people get happy to see a league fold. That's ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, you know, the XFL, I mean, I really want to do, I, I you know, I want to see the USFL, I'm, I'm sorry, the XFL and the USFL succeed. 
And, you know, there's part of me too. I mean, you know, it's, it's being us being a CFO, very hardcore CFL fans. Um, you know, you, and being here in the States, we, you know, you and I are kind of like right in the middle right there because we acknowledge that it ain't looking good for the CFL right now, period. Yeah, it's really it, not. It's kind it, of scary. Not, I mean, you just even looking at what's in the stands right now and it's just, this ain't looking good. Um, and football is very much a TV sport. So, I mean, I posted something on Twitter today. Um, I'm, I'm concerned about not only the CFL, but the XFL and even the USFL beyond 2023. Because realistically, I mean, that's kind of a lifetime right now away. And we know how much, you know, the world can change in just an instant, especially after the pandemic. So, yeah, no, I'm like you. I, I, I don't celebrate failure at all, but it's I'm hoping that in the the next 10 years, we'll have something viable. And this is something, you know, we were talking with Ron in our interview with him that as we were talking, I thought about, I really didn't bring up, but there's also the whole Madden crowd out there. There's also the whole new generation that's raised on video games, you know, call me crazy, but I still say that short story about George RR Martin about the death of real football and now everything Esports is a huge thing now. People are on Twitch, and it's just I, I think we're we're about there's gonna there, there's gonna be I think a paradigm shift at some point where technology. I mean, we're you know with CT I'm, again. I'm kind of kind of rambling here and kind of I just I have that that Arthur C. Clarke hat on right now, and I can just see everything kind of changing to where you know these multi you know, these big stadiums really, you know, it's, it's going to be a lot like fan controlled, what fan control football seems to want to be is just a studio sport. Yeah. I mean, I remember uh, this is maybe way out in left field, but I know when I was little at like eight, 10 years old, there would be Saturday night wrestling matches uh, that were locally produced and yeah. there were no fans. You know, <laughs> yeah, I went, that's I mean, a there, good there, point. There might, there might be 10 people sitting there, right. but you know, it, but that was a deal. You know, I mean, that was something that you watched. And, of course, that was their only – I mean, yeah, they had never, advertising yeah, right. and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I mean, it wouldn't surprise me to I, – I don't know. I, I still fall into that habit of thinking about things the way that they used to be that, that aren't anymore. Because, yeah, when you look right. at the 70s and 80s, it was very, very important to have full stands. And maybe now yeah. it's not. And then maybe with gambling. I mean, well, you know, that's... and maybe – you know, I don't know. It's that's that's a good point. I mean, gambling has changed everything. I mean, you just look at this weekend. I mean, watching yesterday. I mean, every other commercial was a, you know, a sports betting commercial. It seemed like, and as much as I love the Caesars commercials with uh, JB Smoove, <laughs> um, there is a reality that you know is coming across in all those ads. Is gambling is the wave of the future? So I think. Gambling is going to drive a lot of what we see moving forward. And I'm, I'm just curious where, you know, especially the CFL. I mean, yes, the CFL, you know, has put a lot of put a lot of their uh, so quote unquote chips into, uh, you know, have, have kind of bet the house in some respects on gambling. So hopefully it'll pay off. But, you know, the question is, does that mean the league's going to be able to financially survive? And I think that's the million dollar question, for lack of a better term. Well, and see, I'm so lost when it comes to gambling because I don't gamble. I mean, I have nothing against it. I just don't do it. You know, I, I don't just, even understand I got, what the under and over is. I really don't. I mean, yeah, I, I mean, I really don't. If I got five bucks, 
I want to keep the five bucks, you know, yeah. so that's just me. But yeah, I mean, I realize that's huge. Most people I know are just right. are heavily into it. But well, if I'm going to take that five dollars that I would bet on a game, I'm going to put that five dollars and buy DraftKings stock. But even yeah, then, I was yeah, looking, that's a, yeah, that, that, I, I was looking at the I, stock I mean, price and the stock price has gone down. So I don't know. I mean, it's, uh, you know, but, um, you know, there's only one person that's ever lost money on a casino that I'm aware of. And he used to be an owner in a football league that we both knew and loved. So, um, yeah. So now it's going to be interesting moving forward, but now in terms of the CFL though, so we've got the, the, the gray cup, the playoff starting, and I know for, unfortunately you're going to be forced to listen to a lot of it via radio, but, um, so we've got the playoffs coming. Who, who are you picking? Oh, well, you know, I don't know. I mean, you know, Winnipeg, they've, what, they've lost two in a row. Correct. Yeah. Well, the last, you can't really even count the, the last yeah. game really wasn't a loss because they played all their second, pretty much second. Yeah. Game. They just, yeah. That was just kind of a, almost like an exhibition game that counted in the regular season. Yeah. I mean, you know, I've got, I mean, I think Winnipeg's got, you know, uh, that's who I would pick to win it. I mean, I'm, I'm a Thai Cats fan, but I think Montreal will beat the Thai Cats. Yeah. Um, I'm, my bet is, so. I'm going with Toronto because Toronto has beat beat Winnipeg when it mattered, when it counted back in, you know, at the beginning, of, you know, at the beginning of the season. So, but it's going to be, you know, I, I, my bet, my pick is on Toronto. I, I, and I did very well, you know, talking about, you know, gambling and picking. I was in the uh, the third down gamble um, pick. Oh, I was too. Like, I finished dead last. Thank you. Oh, very okay. Much. I, yeah. I didn't realize you were in that league with me. I didn't realize. No, I'm 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 Kuda man. <laughs> oh, that's you. I didn't yeah, realize the one who was, that. Yeah, no, I'm I'm. And this has been throughout my even you know, the 30 years I worked in newspaper when we would do picks, whether it would be high school, college, or pro. I suck, and I've I always very, sucked at it. I did very well. In fact, I if I looked at the percentages, I had the per- highest percentage of wins and lot versus losses but I can't figure out the points. I don't understand the point system that goes along with that. Yeah, I don't either. I didn't figure, but it didn't matter with me because I was so bad. I mean, I tend to pick, sometimes I'll do it just for kicks. I'll just, I'll pick something that I know that's going to happen. I mean, I used to, like in college games, there would always be one absurd matchup when you would have like, say in Oklahoma against an FCS team. So I'd pick the FCS team, knowing it wouldn't happen, but also knowing if it did happen, Oh yeah. He's, he's a genius. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, and you know, when it came to the and the nice thing about the CFL is you only got you know, nine teams, really eight any on any given weekend. Yeah. So it wasn't for me, you know, I think I was, I think, I don't know. I'd have to look, but I was close to 70% on my picks, but it was just, I don't know. Just, I don't know. Sounds right. Sounds right. It was just pure luck and, and, and trying to figure that out. So, but you know, talking about gambling and everything. Yeah. I think gambling, I think, you know, in the next 10 years, the, the shape, the landscape of sports in general, not just football, but it's going to change, especially with gambling, the way it's, I mean, every, it just seems like it's, it's, it's more pervasive now on TV and it's so in our face. Well, and I wonder too, um, which is, I, know, I guess it's sort of related to what we're talking to. I mean, it may be, football starting you know has maybe football peaked and it's starting to trend you know when we get back to spring leagues and stuff i mean you'd mentioned you know maybe maybe not all the nfl stadiums are full not all the college stadiums are full and yeah a lot of that's still like pandemic hangover but you just wonder 
maybe it's trending downward just overall. I mean, there's, yeah. we've talked what? about it a million times. There's so much to do. There's so many different things to do, you know, not just sports on a given Saturday, Sunday or whenever, you know, I don't know. Well, you had mentioned it on Tim's show. Just, I think Tim was the one that, that, I mean, coined the term peak football. And I, I tend to agree in many ways that we're, we're kind of there. And I think, you know, there's also the other part about, there's also that other thing that we really don't talk about a lot and it's only because we're adults, but, you know, you got to look at the younger fans and, you know, how, you know, the influence of video games, you know, the, the one thing I heard, the one video game man came out with a new version like they do every year. And there was a bit of a revolt on the, on the people that play man. It's like, Hey, you need to improve this product a little bit because this isn't going to stand. So you've got all these younger fans out there that are clamoring for more things other than what they've had for years. So I just think, I think in the coming next coming 10 years, I mean, and hopefully that translates well into people wanting more football, something different, like with the XFL, when there was a, they allowed double forward passes, you know, I'd love to see more drop kicks. Well, you know, what I'm thinking is robot football. What was it? Cyberball, the old video yeah. game where it was, yeah. I mean, <laughs> well, I mean, there, 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 there's that. And there's, like I said, going back to, you know, you know, George R.R. Martin's short story on the last Super Bowl. you know, that's, you know, the, the day and age where people, I mean, during the pandemic, somebody put on Twitter because I'm so desperate for fo- football. I put on Madden and just let it play in computer mode. <laughs> <laughs> so I just think we're, we're getting at a point. I think, I think maybe we've hit peak football and, and cha- things are going to change because, yeah, I mean, the NFL rules all. And I think the NFL is going to be around for, much longer than you and I or our ancestors were, ever will be. But I, I think the question is, how does football survive beyond the NFL or, you know, the SEC in terms of major college football? Because, you know, CTE, and we all know about CTE. It's not a secret anymore. But yet kids are still, people are still playing the sport, knowing maybe in, much like smoking, people are still smoking cigarettes despite the cancer warning. On them, CTE, it's a little bit different, I think, because, you know, obviously you can't see, unless it's an extreme case like what happened to Mike Webster, you can't see the the impact that CTE. Right. In fact, there was something on NPR, I think it's coming up this afternoon, a story about just ordinary folks like you and I, do we suffer from CTE? And, you know, at times, you know, I played high school football. I was not a starter. Matter of fact, I rode the bench every game. But aside from that Friday night game, Monday through I think Thursday, I was hit. I was on. I was part of the second team. And when you're on a team of 22 guys, yeah, you're you're definitely in in the mix. And it's you know, and I played right on the line. So, you know, I think all of us who played high school football, I'm sure, I'm sure there's some, you know. I'm sure all of us maybe are going to be affected down the road by CTE and, but, we'll, but hopefully not, but we'll, we'll, we'll see. I mean, I just, I just think a new day, a new era is kind of dawning on football and I just kind of curious to where it's going to, where it's going to take us. I know over in Japan, I mean, I'm, I'm a big, you know, big supporter of it. Hopefully going to be involved in expanding the game over there after I retire, 
through the pod or gridiron Japan podcast, but also writing and, and just being that, you know, the one advocate in a, in a small town in Japan outside of Tokyo to advocate hard for kids playing flag football. I mean, that's, that's my ultimate retirement goal is to coach, coach flag football, coach baseball over there, teach English and, you know, work on that and be work on a doctor in education and, 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 and live a very happy retired life over there. But um, I think football, you know, football teaches us a lot, but I think it's going to, there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of questions moving forward as we keep going deeper into the 21st century in terms of safety, in terms of, you know, all, everything you think about leagues starting leagues, folding leagues, um, you know, the NFL going to expand overseas. Just, I think, and again, I'm rambling here and I, I, you know, but we're going to, we're going to be jumping in here to, to Ron's interview here in just a minute. But I just think a new day is, is dawning in terms of just football overall. And hopefully it means not only more football, but better football and better safety. And, you know, that's the, you know, sports and football in general is the, the one thing we can always, doesn't matter. Um, doesn't matter what your political belief is, what your racial makeup is. It's something we can all agree on that. We love football <laughs> for yeah, those but, that are football know, fans. But I will tell you this. I mean, my American football career ended in eighth grade. You know, then I moved on to association football, which, you know, I don't regret at all. I, I right. was fortunate. I never, I never got hurt. I mean, I was a wide receiver, but when you play junior high football, there's not a lot of passing. And, you know, I got, I got hit, but, you know, it, it was no big deal. But I kept thinking now, you know, if I had a kid or a grandkid, I wouldn't want them playing American football, not tackle football. I just wouldn't. I mean, I would, you know, I would try to, you know, guide them to whatever they wanted to do. But if the kid came up, you know, dad, I'd, I'd really like to play soccer. Good for you, son or daughter or whatever, you know, whatever you want to play, then, then you know, because it, it's just, it is scary with the CTE and everything. And, uh, yeah. you know, I, yeah. but that's just being maybe cautious. But I, I mean, I, you know, sometimes, you know, when you see these horrible collisions in a football game, it's like, oh, man. Oh, yeah. It's just, you know. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, uh, I'm like you, man. It's when there's a good hit, you know, I, I flinch at times watching. And the hits that we see now aren't like in the old days. Because there was a time when NFL films, we use, you know, they used to celebrate those hits. And they, oh, absolutely, um, yeah. And it's funny. I mean, you don't, I mean, other than you can probably find those things on YouTube bootleg, but the NFL film stopped selling a lot of that stuff, you know, heavy hitters of the NFL because of guys like, you know, what we, you know, what we've seen later that came later with Mike Webster, Nick Bonacani is a good example. Oh yeah. yeah. A, a good, um, if you've ever, if you've never seen the HBO documentary on him, it I is have, so yeah, it's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking. You know, he was a spokesman for the tobacco companies too. So it's really kind of there's a lot of irony in there that yeah, yeah. and he did and thank God he did this documentary and and he what he he said, Would I do it again? Yeah, I'd do it again. But he was not afraid to show what the effects of football were on him ultimately. That and it's a sad, but you know, there's there's that love of football that I think uh, I think all of us we all 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 of us football fans want to see the game played safely. So I think with that said, I mean, you know, there are heavy hits now, but there's, there's a lot of changes to be made. 
So making the game safer will, I think, ultimately make it better. Well, that was one of the things I really appreciated about the last XFL in 2020 is some of the you know rule changes they had, like especially on kickoffs, where they got rid of a lot of the you know the high impact collisions and stuff. Right. I mean, I thought their rule package, and I you know I guess we'll find out what the USFL is going to do, but the XFL rule package from 2020 I thought was outstanding. I mean, I had no complaints with any of their rules. I thought that yeah. was one of the the best alternative rule packages I've ever seen. Well, and that's and it goes to show you and that's why I think alternate leagues are are so important because they they're able to workshop all these ideas and put them into practice. And as we all know, the NFL takes those ideas and makes them their own. But that's the one thing about having these alternate leagues that is so good is to work out these things, to test these theories, to test these concepts. And um, you know, so hopefully moving forward, I know the game that, and you and I both have talked about this, the game that we see now on TV is not the game we grew up with. And I'm okay with yeah. that. I'm okay with that. Well, listen, hey, without further ado, um, enough of us, Scott and I talking here. And um, we're going to let you, uh, everybody who's listening now, we've got a great interview with Ron Snyder, who wrote the great book on the Baltimore Stallions. It's a history book. It is available on Amazon and anywhere you can find books it is one of the best history books football wise that i have read much like scott's it's a very easy read you can get through it and it just it's a fascinating read so everybody who's listening please enjoy our interview with ron snyder and uh we will be seeing you here hopefully uh next week with uh the next interview that we have coming up is with uh it's going to be revolve around memories of the nfl today on cbs thank you again for listening it's a long hard road in the canadian football league and it's filled with obstacles but they're more than physical finesse is also required to get to the ultimate prize a date with glory in november It was a legendary franchise steeped in history in one of football's most loyal markets. Tonight, after a decade of neglect by the NFL, football in Baltimore comes of age again, this time with the Canadian game. The name's on hold, but the uniforms and helmets are still intact. And tonight, Tracy Ham returns to the site of a brief demise, befuddled in Toronto, but already in Baltimore, he's shown flashes of brilliance. Don Matthews runs the show with extensive CFL knowledge. The Argos, too, hope to rise from the ashes of last season. OB's attempting to put a new face on an old team, led by veteran quarterback Mike Kerrigan. Hot on Kerrigan's heels is Marvin Graves, the Argos quarterback of the future. On opening night, we present A Tale of Two Cities.
It's a blazing hot summer night in Southern Ontario. There's the view from Skydome across Lake Ontario, and the roof and the building is open as we speak. And now we move inside where the Toronto Argonauts hope to begin re-establishing themselves tonight as the CFL's cornerstone franchise, and Baltimore hopes to do what no expansion team has ever really been able to do in year number one, and that is contend. There are some fans with politically incorrect apparel tonight, and we acknowledge from the outset that we're under a court injunction to resist all temptation to refer to Baltimore as spirited young horses of any kind and until the matter is straightened out in the American court system we'll try to comply but uh, forgive us if we slip up occasionally. A lot of significance attached to opening night for us. First of all, will Toronto begin marching back towards respectability? That's vital to the CFL success. And will Baltimore live up to advanced billing? There are many who believe expansion to be the CFL's best hope, and those people would be happy if Baltimore got off to a good start. Expansion brought three new American franchises into the Canadian Football League in the offseason. And so once again, the league has a whole new map. The soul of the CFL remains in Canada, where it's been for 125 years. But last year, the league launched a full frontal assault on American football fans. The attack was led by wealthy Sacramento businessman Fred Anderson. It took Anderson's gold miners a while, but they eventually caught on as the first wave of the invasion. This year, the charge continued. The CFL set up its first command post in Las Vegas, where a flamboyant owner, Nick Maletti, quickly signed a marquee player and brought a fleet-footed team to the Nevada desert. Baltimore brings to the CFL credibility in one of North America's most passionate football markets. The band has a reason to march again, the fans have their own team, and the city has a wealth of CFL experience and veteran players like Tracy Hamm. In the nation's capital, former NHL owner Bruce Firestone relieved Ottawa of the ongoing football circus and moved quickly to establish credibility, acquiring Adam Rita as coach and Danny Barrett as quarterback. In the American South, the Gliebermans have set up shop in Shreveport. It took them only a few weeks to discard their first coach and call for former Argo headman Forrest Gregg to take over. In Toronto, what had started with great promise when a high-profile trio bought the Argonauts ended sadly. In their place, Corporate Canada stepped up. Labatt, via its TSN and Blue Jay operations, has taken over the franchise, offering stability and marketing expertise. Hi, I'm Oz Davis of the True the Goats podcast here at the Sports History Network. I'd like to take a minute to tell you about quite possibly the greatest website of all time, newspapers.com. If you're listening to this podcast or any of them at the Sports History Network, you're probably into sports history. And you probably also know that for learning about anything prior to, say, 1990 online, the typical search engines like are nearly completely useless. But then there's newspapers.com. Newspapers.com gives you access to over 640 million pages worth of news from North America, Britain, Ireland, and more, dating from 1798 to last week. Do up a search for Super Bowl One, the 36th Berlin Olympics, Wayne Gretzky's first game, whatever. Newspapers.com takes you there with historical flavor that search engines like just don't give you. And now get a free one-week subscription to Newspapers.com by visiting SportsHistoryNetwork.com slash newspapers. With a paid subscription, you'll also be helping to support the production of Myth Podcast and other Sports History Network shows. That's SportsHistoryNetwork.com slash newspapers. Newspapers.com. Way better for searches than you know what I'm talking about.
Welcome now to the season's first edition of Live at the Half, Baltimore leading 18-7 through 30 minutes. In Baltimore, the horses with no name have sold 25,000 season tickets. They had almost 30,000 out for a preseason game last week, and they're hoping for a crowd in excess of 40,000 for next week's home opener at Memorial Stadium. Looks like the folks in Baltimore are embracing this game from the Great White North 10 years after rejection by the NFL. The NFL Baltimore Colts were one of the most storied of all professional football teams, winners of three world championships, led by some of the game's greatest names, like Don Shula. Colts fans were considered by many to be the most loyal in any sport, even in 1969 when Joe Namath delivered on his promise. In 1971, Jim O'Brien kicked the winning field goal for Baltimore in the Super Bowl. But the core of the Baltimore legend is quarterback Johnny Unitas, perhaps the first true superstar quarterback in the modern-day NFL. In the dark of a March night 10 years ago, the legends were reduced to ghosts. Owner Robert Ursay loaded up the moving vans and left for Indianapolis. It seemed inconceivable that Baltimore would be without its football team, but for 10 years, Memorial Stadium sat empty. When the NFL bypassed the city in its most recent expansion, Baltimore could wait no longer, and young businessman Jim Spiros landed a CFL expansion franchise. We're 102 years old. We're the oldest sports league in North America. We think we've got a lot of tradition that we can add to Baltimore, and of course we really welcome Baltimore being part of our league. The Colts may have more CFL experience than some established CFL teams. Head coach Don Matthews was their first signing, and his first player signing was quarterback Tracy Hamm. 23 years ago, Johnny Unitas watched a winning field goal. Last week in a preseason game against Winnipeg, he saw another. The kick is up. It is yes! Baltimore wins! They kick it out! Yes! Yes! And here is Jim Spiros, the man who landed a CFL franchise for Baltimore five months ago. Jim, it's not fair to suggest, obviously, the CFL is going to make people in Baltimore forget the city's NFL history, but can this team be taken just as seriously as were the NFL Colts? Absolutely. Um, Baltimore's a football town, and they've embraced us in, in the last four and a half months that we've been there, and the whole town's exciting about us being, being in town playing football. What is the status of your court battle to retain the name Colts? You were hoping for a positive decision this afternoon, I understand. Didn't get it. No, uh, we asked it for the injunction to be lifted. That didn't happen, so we'll be in court on August 3rd. And the venue, I feel, should be in the state of Maryland. But we're going to fight for the name because we feel the name the Baltimore CFL Colts belong in Baltimore. Has the court injunction, in a way, galvanized the fans? Well, you know, it's a slap in the face. I mean, uh, this, this town has been without football for 10 years. And uh, football's back. We don't feel the NFL uh, should be taking our name. Okay, Jim, thanks for your time. Uh, best of luck in the rest of this game and throughout the season. Thank you, Scott. Jim Spiro's Baltimore Colts lead Toronto 18-7 at halftime. Stay with us. Live at the half, we'll return to Skydome in Toronto on a glorious night in just a moment.
the Sports History Network, we're all about sports yesteryear, and so we're so pleased to introduce you to Row One, an online memorabilia gallery and shop that brings your sports history to life anywhere. The Row One Gallery includes over 5,200 gorgeously reproduced prints of team posters, game program covers, game tickets, advertisements, and more in baseball, pro and college football, pro and college basketball, and more. And any gallery item may be printed in a variety of sizes on wood, metal, canvas, acrylic, or poster paper. And in Row One Shop, check out the thousands more of unique items with a retro and historical designs dating back to 1876, including t-shirts, long sleeve shirts, phone cases, mugs, blankets, pillows, towels, and even shower curtains. Go to sportshistorynetwork.com, R-O-W number one, for access to the full Row One catalog and for gallery prints and gift items, plus get a 15% discount off all prints on the Row One Pictorum Gallery with coupon code SHN15. Follow the link on the show notes. The Canadian Football League's top honor belongs to an American team tonight. The Baltimore Stallions beat the Calgary Stampeders. Here's Eric Sorensen on the big game. It looked a little like a pro-Canada rally, but not even the appearance of the Snowbirds could avert an historic first in the Canadian Football League. Try as fans might to influence the outcome. And I'm cheering for Calgary, and they're the Canadian team, so I want the North to win. Even the weather turned cold and windy today, something that should have been an advantage for the Canadian team. Because it's Canadian. It, if it was warm, it wouldn't be Canadian football. I think this makes it totally Canadian. It's great. <laughs> the, first the game itself was exciting. The entire Grey Cup week has been a success in Regina. I can't believe a city like Regina, a small city like Regina, could put on a show like this. It has been fantastic. This has been a great week for the CFL, but one good week doesn't solve the many problems facing the league. Virtually every team is losing money, and the CFL is teetering between the American teams dominating the league or deserting the league. Even as the Americans are taking the Grey Cup away, it's unclear whether the American cities will remain in the league. They could tell you everything's fine, but each one of them's got a different vision of the future of the league. I don't think they've got a coherent vision for the future of the league right now, whether it's all Canadian or half Canadian, half American. Depends who you talk to and depends what day you talk to them. But most fans are only thinking about tonight's historic game, an American team winning the Grey Cup. The Grey Cup that came... What does it mean to see this cup go south to you? I think it sucks. I mean, it won't ruin my life or anything. But... Oh, if they're going to participate in the league, they should be entitled to all the benefits of it. From Baltimore fans, only elation. Feel guilty at all taking the taking the cup out of Canada? No! One number one, great cup, first time ever. For now, Canadian fans will have to get used to the idea that the Grey Cup is no longer in Canadian hands. Eric Sorensen, CBC News, Regina. Professional Football on CBC. Brought to you by Canadian Pacific, owned by Canadians, working for Canadians. General Motors and your Chevrolet and Oldsmobile dealers across Canada. Labatt Breweries of Canada Limited, brewers of Labatt's 50 Ale and Labatt's Blue. Ron, thank you very much for joining us today. Um, it's been a while. We know you and I have uh, been trying to get something scheduled here. It's 
been a busy, it was a busy summer for both of us. And uh, no, so for thank, thank you very much for joining us here today on from the 55 yard line to talk about um, your book on the Baltimore Stallions. No, thank you very much. I appreciate it. No, we've, it's been a crazy time. I'm glad we're finally able to, to make this happen. Yeah. And now I, the other day I saw we were, it was what, 26 years ago, I believe this weekend when the Stallions won the Grey Cup. Yeah, it's hard. It's been that long. You know, the, the, I, I timed the book uh, pretty well to come out, you know, last year at the, around the time of the of the uh, 25th anniversary of it. And, uh, you know, and you just blink and, and a quarter century is gone. Um, you know, it was such a it's amazing how, how much the sports landscapes change here in Baltimore in that time. And, and you know, we're just uh, I was just glad I was able to you know, finally bring this story to light you know, to a new generation of fans. And when I, you know, it's when your book came out, I remember the day I got it, came from Amazon, ripped it open. My wife was like, so, you know, I got this and this. I got, no, I got a book to read. I, cause I, I, I went through, I literally read your book in a day. It was just so enthralling. And it, you know, is with Scott and his, you know, when Scott wrote his book, I did the same thing, went through it in a day. It's such a great read. Um, so my question to you is what, what, what prompt, I mean, how did the book come about? What what was the genesis of it? Well, I've been wanting to do this book for probably 10 years now, at least. Um, you know, I was uh, 16 when the Stallions were here. Um, and and you know, for those who, who, who don't know, you know, I'm from Baltimore. Um, and I was six in 1984 when the, I was six when the Colts left town. I was just about to turn six. Uh, we didn't have a football team my whole childhood growing up as far as NFL goes. You know, the Ravens didn't come to Baltimore until uh, 1996. And this was the first team that that I could kind of wrap my arms around as, as a fan. You know, we, we didn't have football. You know, we, I was a Dolphins fan growing up um, in part because that was the games that we got every week. When, you know, we didn't have you know, an NFL team. They, they gave you the regional game. So I was a big Dolphins fan growing up. And I just remember them coming in. I'm like, Canadian football? I remember this was before the internet. So you couldn't just Google uh, CFL and figure out what it was all about. And you know, we, we knew a little bit. You know, of course, we knew Warren Moon played in the NFL, uh, CFL at one point, And we knew about you know, Rocket Ishmael at that point had, had dabbled in the CFL. And we knew Pinball Clemens and Doug Flutie. But that was really about it. And, and um, you know, they, they came into town and, and they were really good. It was fun to watch. You know, they go to the Grey Cup both years. They play one of the great Grey Cups in, in CFL history in 94 and lose on a last-second field goal. And then they win in 1995. And then the Ravens announce that they're coming, you know, before the, the Grey Cup, then 95, and, and then they're just gone. And it's just – it has all those elements. If you're a sports fan, it's got all those elements um, that make a great story. And it took a long time to, you know, to find a publisher um, to, to – to, Get it to um, get it to press. So it was the first time I've, I've written a couple other books, and this was the first book I had written without a deal in place because I believed in the project that much. I just decided, you know what? Nobody's going to believe what type of story this is. Actually, see the whole story and, and understand what you know Baltimore went through, what this team went through, what its legacy was, and just how unique of a story it was. So I, I went and you know wrote this book up. Uh, before I even had any guarantees that it was going to get published, and thankfully it did. And again, you know, a whole new generation of, of football fans uh, got to experience this story. 
One of the fast, I mean, it is, it's a terrific book. And one of the fascinating things to me is I live in Birmingham, Alabama. So we've always had teams that come and go, but of course. I, I would look at, at Baltimore and think, you know, good the Colts, they're one of the most iconic names in sports and then they're gone. And then here comes a Canadian league team. And it, it just always interested me in how the people reacted, how they decided, okay, we don't have the NFL anymore. Here's this league with quirky rules. You know, how are we going to accept it? But yeah, I mean, they do very well, especially in terms of, of what Canadian teams drew. And, and it seemed like for the couple of years they were there, the city really embraced them. Yeah. And you got to remember the, the time too, right? Um, the NFL had teased Baltimore for several years <clears throat> about coming back. Um, you know, the, at one point, the Cardinals had teased before they St. Louis to go to Phoenix. Um, you know, the Bucks had teased for a couple of times, a couple other teams, the Raiders had even, you know, there were some rumors about the Raiders at one point. Um, and then, you know, the expansion took place 93, 94, where they announced first, they announced Charlotte, which, you know, became the Panthers. And, and I think Baltimore was like, okay, all right. You know, they want to go into a new market, a new state. We, we kind of get that. And, but we're going to, I'm sure they're going to pick a different, you know, a, a traditional NFL city. You know, we've got Johnny Unitas. We've got our Donovan. We got Lenny Moore. I mean, you know, the greatest football game ever played, 58 championship game. I mean, it was a great tradition. Surely they're not going to, you know, look us, look over us again. And then they in Jacksonville and the Jaguars and ticked us off. Right. I mean, <laughs> Like we, we kind of got Charlotte over 25 years. They, I mean, they still have to play, you know, a game, a couple of games a year in London because nobody goes to their games. I mean, so at that point, you know, Baltimore was just like, forget you NFL. We don't need you. And, you know, this owner, this businessman, Jim Spiros comes to town and, you know, he says, we're going to bring football back and it's going to be the Baltimore CFL Colts. And that I think, you know, I, you know, he, he John Stedman, the, the late great columnist here at the, in, in Baltimore, it was suggested that that had to be the name. And, you know, I don't know, he, of course, he thought legally he had a, he may have said legally he thought he had a chance to keep it, you know, whether he did or not, you know, that's up for debate, but it only added to the, to the lore of this team and this rallying this David versus Goliath Baltimore like you know many blue collar towns has a uh, a complex you know that, that we think the world's out to get us and you know we use this as a rallying point and I think that's what helps sell tickets and then of course you know I'm sure we'll talk about it you know the, the NFL news and then they have to play the first season without a name because of an injunction so it just it all kind of came together and and at that point you know we, we were just wanted football and we didn't care where it came from. We just wanted football and we wanted it to be, the, and it was the Colts and, you know, the old Colts embraced the team. And, you know, there was Johnny United's out field and, you know, Art Donovan was out there and Lenny Moore and all those, those great Colts players and John Mackey were all out there. Um, and, you know, I think we were like, you know what, this is our team. There's a blue collar team for a blue collar city and, and we're going to love them. And, and the fact that they were good helped. I mean, uh, you know, if they were, you know, if they were like the posse in Las Vegas or <laughs> you know, many of the other teams that were, you know, Sacramento, if they were any one of those other teams, and it's just a footnote. But the fact that they were really, really good, you know, helped. Right. Now, with um, when when the Stallions came to town, obviously, um, fortunately, Memorial Stadium had was able to fit in a CFL 
regulation field. Um, but when they moved in there, how much extra work? I mean, you, you reference it in your book, but how much extra work did they have to put in to get that stadium ready? Because it had been sitting there unused for a couple of years. It had been uh, the, the Orioles left uh, in 91, uh, the baseball team to go to Camden Yards. Um, I don't think us fans realized just how much disarray that, that stadium was. I mean, pipes were busted, seats were busted, electrical was a mess. I mean, they begged, borrowed, and bartered for everything. You know, there were sponsors to get the paint. There were, I mean, there were all types of ad trades. I mean, they really had to do a, a lot of work just to get it playable. Um, and very, re- it, very, very reminiscent of what happened when they, when eventually the Stallions went to Montreal and 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 Percival Mol- uh, um, uh, Molson Stadium, trying to get that stadium up to up to snuff for CFL games. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, the CFL has the different the, the different um, dimensions, and you know, the most of the U.S. stadiums probably weren't you know weren't you know, weren't up to par as far as you know, field dimensions go because it just wasn't the space. Yeah, they made it work. I mean, you know, the fans. I, I don't think noticed. I mean, or if they did, you know, they were just glad to be in the stands and, and watch some football. You know, one of the weird things to me when when they had the U.S. experiment that I thought would have been a good marketing opportunity is since some of these stadiums couldn't really fit the full configuration of a CFL stadium is to play it off like it's major league baseball. Well, look, there are different parts with different dimensions and that's what makes this game so unique, but you know, nobody ever bothered to say that. I mean, yeah, it would have been a bit of a, a fib, I guess, but because I know in, in Birmingham, they had struggles trying to get the 20 yard deep end zone sort of thing and that was just something that when you moved into stadiums that were built for american football that was a problem you're going to have to deal with yeah and and i think you know there was a lot and i think in, in baltimore and maybe realizes in birmingham too i mean there was a cultural thing i mean the cfl fans you know, were very traditionalist they don't want their game altered you know, they had enough of an issue of it expanding into the U.S. They had enough of an issue of the U.S. teams not having to have a, um, a quota system. That's one of the reasons that the, that the Stallions were so good uh, was that you know, they didn't need to have a certain – they weren't – didn't need to have a certain number of Canadians. They had a whole U.S. And then, of course, a lot of the cultural issues here in America is that we we didn't like the idea of playing a, you know, a game with on a longer field with three downs, with, you know – is different set of rules and of course you know then the, the canadian football league schedule didn't jive well and you can ex- understand that down in birmingham with the high school season with the college season so you know there was a lot of um you know ignoring the the, the teams after that point as well especially again in a city like birmingham where you know college football rules the day high school football rules the day and so you know it, it, there was a lot of there were a lot of factors that came into play too when it came the stadiums and, and the dimensions and with the uh, and with the 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 NFL bypassing Baltimore for expansion how m- much of that do you really I mean you talk about it a lot and other people have mentioned it but to me I mean I remember when the Colts left just how you know the, I remember the news reports at the time I think it was in high school at the time and Baltimore has always been one of those cities when it comes to football that there's a romance with, with the Colts of, of old. And so you had with a new team coming into town in a new league, you had that, 
the blessing of the old players. And you also obviously had the blessing of the band too, which, which, which helped tremendously. How much of all that do you think contributed to the, um, the Browns finally coming to, coming to town? Well, you know, as a 16, 17 year old, I, and I saw though, you see all these bands. I mean, I thought, Oh yeah. The reason that they came, you know, obviously, um, was it a factor? Yes. Um, was it, as big a factor as we thought of at the time, probably not. I mean, you know, the Browns had to move. I mean, they weren't getting the stadium. I mean, uh, Art Modell was losing a ton of money. Um, they just, you know, we, we, it, and then Baltimore had a great stadium deal in place. I mean, for you know, many years, we had a lottery, you know, our, our, part of our lottery fund uh, was designed to go towards funding a stadium. So they knew they were going to get a new stadium within two to three years end up being the third year in town. Um, and it was a good deal. The fact that we could draw 40,000 for a Canadian football team, you know, helped. Um, and, and the fact that the band was there to support it helped. The fact that there was a legacy there helped. Um, they knew that they were going to draw, you know, they, they knew that, that, you know, that, you know, the DC area wasn't going to, um, be negatively affected as well. Um, you know, I think that 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 helped. But at the end of the day, I think that it was just a great stadium deal. Um, and, uh, you know, the success of the CFL team, I think, you know, just was kind of that icing on the cake. It was always sad to me, which obviously, you, you know, before is, uh, you know, they they win the Great Cup, one of the greatest teams of all time, maybe the greatest CFL team ever. But then the news comes along that, you are getting the NFL team. And so there's no real celebration. I mean, it's just, it's like the way it was timed out was, was really sad for the stallions and what they accomplished. No, absolutely. And, and to be honest with you, I mean, I saw the pictures in the later years of them having a gathering at our inner Harbor downtown Baltimore. And you know, there was a small gathering and, but I, I honestly, I didn't even remember it. Like I, I, I remember them winning the game, I remember watching the game on TV and that was it. I remember leaving, you know, saying that the, the CFL wasn't going to you know, make it in the U.S. All the other U.S. teams expanded. There was a question of whether they were going to try to maybe make a go of it in Houston or Virginia or somewhere. And, you know, when Baltimore folded, basically, and moved to Montreal um, and the other team, I mean, it just wasn't going to work. It was going to work in Baltimore. It wasn't going to work any. Um, and, and, yeah, it was sad uh, because, again, the, the fan, you know, this, these, this team did everything that a, a sports team, fan base could ask for them. They, they played hard. Um, they were a well-ran organization. Um, you know, they had success on the field. They were out in the community. Uh, you know, they, they, they took pictures with the fans. They signed autographs. I mean, they did everything you could hope for from a professional sports team, and it, and it still wasn't enough. I mean, you know, the, and I always kind of make the analogy, you know, the NFL was like, you know, the, the girlfriend that, you know, that cheated on you and was horrible to you and then dumped you and you go and you find, a, you know, another girlfriend and, and everything's you know, nice. And then, you know, the old girlfriend calls back, says, I'm sorry, take me back. Things will be different this time. And they say, okay. And then they you know, go back to them. Um, and that's kind of what happened. I mean, and look, the Ravens have been an amazing franchise down for 25 years 26 years now uh, 26 season 25 years i mean they're um you know two super bowls you know they're you know, they're right there in the mix again this year with some some 
cardiac uh, event cringing games, very, very close games this <laughs> season, but they're still you know in first place in the and, and they're doing everything that you again they're doing everything that we could hope for as, as a sports franchise as well um you know but i always felt, felt like you know the, the stallions never got their just due um you know, they provided a bridge really for uh the between the colts and the ravens um and reminded us how to be a football team town again you know we, we never we never you know high school football is okay here it's not super huge it's it's decent in spots um you know, we have University of Maryland, which is basically in D.C. Uh, we have the Naval Academy, which wasn't very good at the time. And, and so, you know, we, we didn't know we, we didn't have tailgating. We didn't have a lot of the things that you, you have as a football town. And so they reminded us what it was meant to be a football t- town. And they taught us how to be fans again, um, you know. And um, but at the same time, again, you know, I, I wish the. Uh, you know, they would have had a, a little better ending their time here. And, and, you know, I just hope that their legacy isn't forgotten. Well, and, you know, in, in, about their legacy, um, and I'm sure you followed like Scott and I did all the talk this past spring about the CFL talks with the XFL. Right. And in, during, during that time, I would always bring up the history. I would always bring up your book as a book to read on, the history of American expansion. Um, you know, when we're talking other leagues other than the NFL and the success found and the failures found. And first of all, did you follow any of that? And also, are there any lessons that you think have the Stallions taught that haven't been learned yet about competing, about, you know, another league in the in the States competing more or less head to head or in some ways with the NFL? You know, and, and I think competing with the NFL is, you know, of course, the USFL. Uh, right. Actually, that's a complete failure. That, that's that that's a recipe for disaster. Um, you know, if you read Jeff Perlman's uh, Football for a Buck, it's a great read if you haven't. Yeah. Uh, we had him on, actually. We, we had him on, uh, I think it was, uh, Scott, when it last was? Week. It was uh, last week. Last week. It was week. like third. I can't remember which day it was. So we uh, we talked briefly on the new the new league came out. But, yeah, yeah, we, uh, yeah, that uh, is definitely a must read. But, uh, you know, and spring football, secondary football, it, it's a tough sell in this country because, you know, again, if you're in Birmingham, you know, like football, you could probably get it to work. You know, the, the weather is really, really cold. And then you get this little break in the spring. And then it's then it's high school football. Then it's college football. And you know, they, that sucks up all the oxygen. So, I mean, a town like Memphis, Birmingham, you know, those type of towns where, where foot, there's there's this high school or football or college football um, strength, it, it, there's just no market for it. Uh, and then other towns, you know, again, I think it's finding the right owner um, because sometimes you know the, they do a money grab. They, you know, these things are done with smoke and mirrors. Um, you know, but if you looked at the XFL, you know, when it came back, and unfortunately the, the pandemic kind of killed it before it uh, really got going. You look at the town that that did the best as far as you know acceptance of it was St. Louis, right? Exactly. St. Louis, very similar to Baltimore. It was a town with a, with a strong football uh, championship uh, tradition. You know, they had the greatest show on turf. You know, they had their team yanked from them uh, by an owner that, you know, was hell-bent on moving the team from the minute that he took it over. But 
it's like Baltimore. Uh, it's, a, it's a city that, that, that that's angry at the NFL, um, and and you know they accept it. So I think it's finding those cities like a St. Louis, um, you know, where there is some tradition, but the NFL isn't um, ingrained, entrenched in there, and and college football isn't going to take it over. And the weather um, is, is right. Um, so you know, it, it, those are the the types of towns I think would you would have to find, but. And just finding the right formula. I mean, it's it's a tough model. I mean, it, it's a tough sell. I mean, there's there's. I mean, just think of all the teams. I mean, it's, there's. It's been the CFL, the USFL, um, that's failed in the U.S. The XFL twice, the AIF, um, and all of them have tried different models. Um, so you know, we, you know, I'm not sure what what could work. I think the USFL, and I, I haven't. Uh, if I'm right, they're going to try like a single hub city, right? Is that, is that the way I understand it? Yeah, and they're going to play yeah. in Birmingham, which is supposedly, which is 0 for 7 at spring leagues. Right. So, you know, and, it's... You know, another model that seems to work when you talk about secondary sports leagues, and I'll use the analogy of lacrosse, this is premier lacrosse league. I'm not familiar with lacrosse. Right. But they've taken a hub right now. Their approach has been right now has been they have all the teams in one hub, but they go city so they don't have right. a host city so they're like almost like a touring thing and they oh, play like okay. three or four games and they'll go to baltimore and they'll go to philadelphia they'll go to syracuse or whatever denver and they'll play like they'll make it like a weekend there'll be a festival and they'll have clinics and then they'll have games and i'm not sure if that even model could even work for football given the size and of the teams but it, it, it's a tough it's a tough thing that you think that there's this yeah everyone thinks that there's this um uh, audience for the secondary football league. And, and, and I just, I'm just not sure. I'm not sure. I mean, I think you know, the Canadian football league works in Canada. It's going through its own struggles right now from what I can see. Um, part of it's pandemic related. Others is that the way the nature of the Canadian football league, you know, it kind of just kind of ebbs and flows. It seems like in, in, in popularity. Um, but I, I don't know what model would work, but I, I know that the models that they've different model, uh, Learn what not to do, you know, don't, you know, a city like Birmingham, city like Memphis, you know, those are cities. It just, it's never worked. Streetport's never worked. Um, you know, again, finding the right owners that are committed because the, that are willing to, you know, go burn some money the first couple of years, because it's, it's going to take some time to break even. getting the right TV deal, um, making sure that the, the, the product on the field is good. I mean, the XFL's product was pretty bad. But, but in both, you know, um, in both versions, I mean, it was some, especially on the quarterback play, it's hard to find. And the NFL can't find 32 good quarterbacks. When you go down below those 32 quarterbacks, I mean, with few exceptions, I mean, you know. Well, you found a good one yesterday against my Bears. Yes. <laughs> yes, Tyler Huntley, I, I thought I'd seen him play in the preseason. And, you know, I, I knew yeah. they wouldn't have to change the game plan much. He's right. very similar in skill set to Lamar. Um <laughs> And look, the Ravens were decimated by injuries. I mean, the, yeah. uh, Hollywood Brown was out. I mean, they, they, their secondary is a mess. Um, their the front front seven's a mess with injuries. The running backs are on their fourth running back. You yeah. know. Um, well, I mean, there's and, and, and the Bears like, were just as injured. Oh, the Bears are horrible. But that, yeah, I mean, it's 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 going to be interesting to see what happens at the end of the season if if Nagy stays or goes or, or what happens. But to your point, you know, in terms of talent, I mean, yeah, the talent. I mean, there's a lot of football talent out there, we all know, but like you goes to what you said, 
the quality of play at the professional level, you expect more than than what you've seen. You know, say you know for the I'll use the first XFL as a good example about the quality of the play. Unfortunately for me, I really didn't see a whole lot with the second XFL due to military commitments. But AAF, it was it was somewhat of a, a, a decent, but it was a decent product on TV, and you know you had the full stands, but there was no money. I mean, it was a house of cards, and it goes yep. it goes to what you said. I mean, there is no there is no magic. The last league that was able to make a, a another league work was the AFL back in the '60s, but obviously times were much much different back then to where we are today, where TV rules all. You know, if you're going to put a good product out there, you, it's got to be good on TV, but it's got, I mean, it, it's, you know, money talks. So it'll be interesting to see how with the new USFL and the XFL moving, the new USFL and the XFL moving forward, what that financial model is going to be. Yeah. Hey, let's not forget the Ricky Williams Freedom Football League, which still has a website and <laughs> has supposedly been in existence now for three years. Uh, Birmingham even has a team in that, the Alabama Airmen. That that's a league that formed. They formed and gave team names and cities, but that's all they've they've never even contacted the actual cities. I don't think that's that's the weirdest non-league, maybe even weirder than Major League Football right now. Yeah, yeah Birmingham's got is is pretty much a like a graveyard of of secondary football teams. Isn't it? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, as as far as the. You know, beginning with the WFL and going through the Alliance of American Football, that's seven leagues that they've been in. And the only one still in existence is the CFL, but obviously the American side of that failed. As, God's been <laughs> as you know, funeral. as good as anybody. Yeah, I have. I've been to all of them. <laughs> you know, and, you know, you want to see it work because, again, you Absolutely. Know, it's, it's people's jobs, it's people's livelihood. Um, but, you know, we, you, you got to get the right people in, the, in there for the right reasons with the right vision. Um, right. And, and there are elements that you can take from the different leagues. You know, I think the USFL initially showed that you could have success in the spring if done right, if done in the right cities. I mean, they were, you know, their, their death now was, I mean, first off, they, they picked a lot of, they picked some really bad owners, which, which didn't help. Um, they had some good owners, but they had some really bad owners. But they also had some success as far as growing the fan base. You know, if they hadn't, you know, we know we had the USFL stars, which we really didn't have because they, they, they were practicing in Philly. They played in College Park and um, they called themselves more stars. Now, you know, if they had made it into 86, then um, the stars would have played in, in um, Memorial Stadium in Baltimore. And maybe something different would have happened. I, I don't know. Um, you know, we know that. Um, you have to pick the right cities, again, where high school and college football aren't going to the oxygen out. And, of course, I don't think it could work in an NFL city either. So you have to find the right cities and, and, and the right sports towns. And you, know, you have the right, the right TV deal and a network that's committed to um, you know, offering the fundage until you know, they can get some return on their investment. Yeah, that's the whole point. I mean, you leagues i know the aaf did it the xfl did it and i think the usfl is trying to do it where for some reason three years is their magic number you know we're making a three-year commitment but i was telling someone the other day honestly i would think a minimum you're going to need like a 10-year commitment and who are you going to find who's willing to lose millions of dollars for a decade on the hopes that they might turn a profit you know again i would love to see it but to me, that's that's what has to happen. You have to have 
some sort of you know group of stakeholders that just know they're going to lose money for a long period of time and it's it's hard to find philanthropists when it comes to professional sports leagues no yeah. absolutely and none of them have ever lasted more than three years no right. i mean you're not going to find a jeff bezos out there willing to put you know use the amazon prime as a good example to you know put a product like that and be willing to to to, to lose all that money um, and I think we've gotten to the point now, too, as I, as I think about it, just we're entering a new age. You know, I mean, technology is increasing so fast, is moving so fast that now football is a, a TV game, a product game. And, uh, you know, I think down the road, I mean, I think, you know, I don't think you're going to see full stadiums like you have. I mean, even now in the NFL, stadiums aren't full like they used to be. And I think TV streaming that is the wave of the future so i guess the question is is how does football adapt to that well and i think the one thing a secondary team might have a shot at is and i don't even and i'm just brainstorming as i'm talking here is you know with the expansion of sports gambling maybe there's a casino connection there hey we need more games you know in that springtime so people right. can bet yeah. on you know and, and look we will we'll let people wager on anything and maybe that's you know the you know the answer. It's still so weird to see, you know, after all these years of of you know the NFL you know, looking away at gambling, you know, now you see Fanduel and you see the casinos and everything else. You know, they're they're tying in. That might be a connection. You know, you may see one day where you know the 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 casinos may come together and say, we need some more gambling in the spring. Yeah, yeah, you that's know? a good point. I never really thought about that. But yeah, I could definitely see it it happening where it's the casinos that are footing the bill on these new leagues. So, well, Ron, Hey, um, I know it's, uh, you know, our, our time is up here, but um, before we let you go, let us, can you let people know, Hey, where to find your book, where to find you and what is the new project? Or do you have any new projects on the schedule? Yeah. Well, uh, again, it's the, um, the Baltimore stallions, the brief, brilliant history of the CFL champion. It's available on Amazon. It's available in McFarland publishing, uh, it's available on any of your online retailers, um, Barnes Noble as well. Um, you know, again, it's pretty easy to get it. Read again if you're looking for. Even if you're not a fan of the CFL, um, you know, it's a great sports story. If you like a good sports story, I, I always say it's a great thirty for thirty. Um, you know, if I ever could get that type of funding, um, <laughs> that, that would be great. Um, you know, I guess and I also have a, a book that came out last, the year before that I think would be a great read for anyone. Called a season to forget. It's the story of the 1988 Baltimore Orioles, the team that started the season 0 and 21, um, and 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 how they went through that season. That was a, a an MLB record of futility to start a season, uh, which is another good read. Uh, my next book out is uh, is coming out early next year. Uh, it's in the editing phases now. It's also with McFarland Publishing. It's called Cinderella at the Big Dance. Uh, it looks at some of the top uh, 10. Uh, great underdog teams in NCAA men's basketball tournament history. So it goes in the all mid-major teams. So it goes, stretches from 1990 with the uh, Loyola Marymount team that, that rallied together to make it a run at the Elite Eight after the death of Hank Gathers uh, through, you know, the mid-2000s where you had the, um, the, uh, uh, George Mason making a Final Four run and then you had VCU making a Final Four run all the way up to uh, 2018, we had uh, Loyola Chicago uh, in the uh, Final Four, and then uh, 
had to throw in my hometown UMBC Retrievers. Absolutely, number sixteen seed uh, uh, upset a uh, number one seed in, in the University of Virginia. So, uh, I really kind of I love uh, stories where you know, you know outside the mainstream a little bit. You know, these are everyone I interviewed for this book. You know, a few exceptions. Uh, you know, never saw the NBA. Uh, you know, maybe they've played overseas. Most of them are lawyers or teachers or police officers or businessmen and are just, you know, loving being able to tell their story of their, you know, 15 minutes in, uh, in the spotlight. Um, so it's, that's another book that I've really pushed for a long time to get through. Um, it's again, it's going to be out. It's available for pre-order now on Amazon and McFarland Publishing. It should be out. Um, you know, hopefully, hopefully in time for the tournament. That's my, my goal is to get it out in time for, for March Madness. So uh, I think it'll be a really good read as well. So Awesome. Well, we can't wait. And hey, thank you very much again for joining us. And hopefully, uh, hopefully we'll be able to talk to you soon after the new book comes out. Absolutely. Thank you, guys. And uh, I appreciate it. And thank you guys for all the support uh, through, the, through the last couple of years. And I'm um, glad to meet you in semi-person yeah <laughs> and uh you know i'm hoping for all of you guys out there um happy holidays happy thanksgiving and and definitely stay safe and hopefully everyone can unlike last year can get together with family and and uh enjoy time together definitely definitely great thanks so much thank, thank you guys you. have a great day this is johnny united for the baltimore colts let's go you colts This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com.